Today we're going to be continuing on in our series about the presence of God, practicing the presence of God. And, and what I would encourage us with at the beginning of this time is that the whole point of us talking about the practice of the presence of God is, is that we believe that a relationship with God is, is the most important thing in your life. We believe that the relationship with God is the most important thing in your life because it's a, a relationship that gives life to everything else. Okay, um, we've looked at that in a little, diff- uh, a couple different ways. This morning we're going to look at, at God at work. What does it look like to practice the presence of God to live out your relationship with God at work? And and that is an important question. <laughs> Do you agree? <laughs> So it's super important, and, and, and as I thought about this question, uh, it's a question that's been really asked your whole life, and maybe it wasn't phrased in, in how do you uh, enjoy God when you're at work, but, but the issue of work and its importance in your life has come up ever since you were a child. The way it happened when you were a child was people would say, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And maybe some of you are still asking yourself that, but... But for most people, uh, it, it transitions uh, in phases. And, and I remember distinctly in college, the way you got to know people was by asking this question. What's your major? Right? What, what's your, the degree you're going to get and then go work? Right? So what are you going to be when you go up? What's your major? And then and now the question is, and it's all along the same lines. It's, it's, and, and the question is kind of at the root of, who are you and who are you going to be? The question now is, what do you do? Uh, and sometimes it sounds like this, what do you do? Right? I get that a lot. <laughs> um, but, but what do you do? Kind of like defend your existence to me. Right? And, and with this, um, there's a story that came to mind that I'm going to share, and I think it's hilarious. Uh, uh, about what do you do, and, and Ben gave me permission to share this story. He was, he was on this, this uh, bike ride down the coast, and they were in Oregon, stayed at a hostel, and, and hostels, you get uh, a variety of human beings, right? Sort of a salad bowl of all different flavors. And, and as they rode down um, and stayed at this hostel, um, Ben works in the yard, and um, and they realized when they were there that as they were sitting around chatting that, that people maybe weren't very excited about, you know, the nuclear age and, <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of the, the projects we have going on here. And anyway, so they were, they were around in a circle and, and someone uh, asked Ben and his friend, well, what do you guys do? And, and Ben said, well, I, I work at the shipyard part-time building boats. <laughs> And, and they asked his friend, who, uh, who also had work of the defense kind, and, and as he was trying to get out what, what he did, Ben said, he makes toasters. <laughs> Large toasters. <laughs> so whether or not you know how to describe your work, which some of us still are wrestling through how to do that. The fact is that, that all of us, um, for a large portion of our lives, will spend uh, up to 30, 40% of our lives at work. Um, 
I, I did um, some research, and it says that you'll spend about 100,000 hours of your life at work. 100,000 hours of your life at work. That, that is over 11 straight years of labor, right? That's a lot of time. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and so this is the question. Um, you know, for a lot of us, that, that sounds depressing. Why? Because, because I don't know if, if this question is being answered in our life in the way it could or should be, right? God at work. Where does, where does God fit into your life at work? Because if he doesn't, what that's going to look like is, oh, 11, 11 years of my life, 100,000 hours, that's a waste of life, Right? And so where does God fit into this, and is it a waste? There's this incredible story in a book called Don't Waste Your Life by a guy named John Piper, and, and he shares it, and I want to read it to you because it's a sobering thing to think about your life being wasted. And, and the story he shares is, is one that his father shared with him. From His father was this preacher that would go around all over the country and, and share the gospel. And... Uh, it says, he went to one church, um, there was a, an old man there that, that had come to the church. It says, the church had prayed for this man for decades, and he was hard and resistant. But this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. At the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and took my father's hand. They sat down together in the front pew of the church as the people were dismissed. It says, God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him from sobbing and saying as the tears ran down his wrinkled face and what an impact it made on me to hear my father say this through his own tears, I've wasted it, I've wasted it. This was the story that gripped me for more than, more than all the stories I heard when I was a young man. The thought of coming to an old age and saying through tears, I've wasted it, I've wasted it, right? And this is, this is the serious question. This is the kind of the sobering question we'll ask at the beginning of, of why is it so important for God to be at work with us? Because I think unless, unless we somehow share the greatest relationship in our lives with one of the places that we share the greatest amount of time with, then our lives will appear to be wasted. James 4.14 says this. He says, what is your life? Your life is like a mist that appears and then vanishes. The Bible speaks with real honesty about the, the shortage of time that we have. And I believe the only way the only way to really, really not waste that short mist of your life is to practice the presence of God. So, if you're in the book of Daniel, which I've asked you to turn to, um, we're going to read and see the story of a couple men who, uh, who got it, I think. And we want to see what they got, how they lived, and, and if they could in some way, during the next hour, and hopefully maybe for the rest of our lives, rub off on us a little bit. Um, So if you're in Daniel, we're going to start right at verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to go all the way through, so really, really follow along here. 
It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, and there's a lot of hard names in here, so just be forgiving. <laughs> Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put its treasures, it put its treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them in the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The king official gave them new names, and much harder to pronounce names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. (laughs) But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the, the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And this is no joke, right? This is no joke. If, if something went wrong, he would have got beheaded. This is, this is kind of like, it might sound cush to like be taken to the, temp, the, the palace and get fed nice things. <laughs> but you find throughout this book that the king gets angry. He's like, kill him, okay? So this is kind of a stressful situation. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official is appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. After the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Man, what do we find here? There's a couple, couple points that I, I want to walk through that I think will help us is, as we see these guys in a, in a very foreign context not wasting their life not wasting their time, not wasting their work, but really living. Um, finding in the place they are the ability to thrive. And, and that's important because I think 
the first comparison I want to make here, this isn't the first point, just the first comparison, is, is that a lot of us assume because the context that we're working in is maybe adverse to God, that we can't thrive in it or that we can't somehow uh, use our time. <laughs> but, but this is incredible, right? Here they've been taken away from the context, their culture, right? Where, where the temple is, where, where the seat of their religion is, and been brought to somewhere else where the, literally their treasures have been looted and brought and put in another temple. This is a very humiliating place to be in. And yet these men are finding a way to thrive. How? And the first point is this. The first point is to start right. To start right. As they've been taken to a different place, to a different culture, um, and for us that might simply be, you know, hopefully none of you guys have been like forcefully uprooted and, and forced to work where you are. But for a lot of us, this, uh, this idea of leaving the context uh, and culture of your home, right? Your home where you get to decide what music to play, you get to decide what gets talked about, maybe. <laughs> right? You get to decide where things are arranged, how things are set up, and the systems and the flow of it. And you're, you're transported into some, somewhere else, you're, you're placed somewhere else where the culture is very different my encouragement is to start right. And what I mean by that is, what Daniel did was, was immediately he went in, it says he resolved to not defile himself in verse 9. He resolved not to defile himself. And, and this is what I mean when I say start right, is that many of us want to walk with God at work, but we don't maybe walk with God before work. So an example I thought of as I was thinking about this was, was it's like we're a child who is going on a hike with our parent, right? And, and the whole thing, you know, children are like this sometimes. I hope I wasn't like this, but it's possible that I was. And you're like, I don't want to hold your hand, right? And you're, the whole time you're like, no. And then all of a sudden you get lost, Right? Because you weren't holding the hand of the parent. And, and this is what we do as children. Then we blame, right? We're like, why weren't you with me? I was all by myself and alone. And, and this is what it's like when we get to work sometimes. And we feel all, all of a sudden as we're in this different context. Why am I here? Why am I, why don't I, why am I not walking with God in this place? Right? Why is this place so absent of God? And, and starting right doesn't mean starting when you get to work. Right? For, for most of us, if not all of us, we, when we get to work, it's not a place that is inciting us to worship. We have to bring worship with us to work, right? And, and that's exactly what, what Daniel and his friends did. They didn't assume as we went to Babylon that Babylon was going to be encouraging their faith. They resolved to continue in the faith that they were walking in. Does that make sense? And so it's the the character or quality of a Christ follower that just continues on. That in the moment of crisis, in the moment at work where a decision has to be made of, of will I live in the peace of Jesus or not, it's not going to be decided in that moment, but it's going to be decided beforehand in the way you've been living already. So honesty 
integrity, decisions of right and wrong, patience, that isn't going to just spring up when you're at work. You're not going to discover a hidden secret stream of, oh, I never knew that was there, right? It's going to be something that as you've walked with Christ, as you've learned from him and you continue that walk, start right. I encourage you guys this so much. When I, I teach a class at the Juvenile Detention Center and I tell this to kids all the time. Every time I'm there, I show the same story and I go, I go, how many of you guys want a job? They all raise their hand. I want a job. And I go, okay. Well, think of this. I go, many of you have not had a job. And it's true. A lot of them haven't had jobs. And, and I say, and even though you haven't had a job, you are doing things in your life that are right now going to make you a good worker or a bad worker. I said, you, you go home, and, and your mom says, hey, can you do the dishes? And you go, no. And I go, and you know, so there's going to be a honeymoon phase at your work where, where there's like three days where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm scrubbing these dishes, Right? And then, and then you're going to come in on the fourth day, and <laughs> their boss is going to be like, can you do the dishes? And you know what? It's going to be because you're comfortable all of a sudden. You're going to go, no, <laughs> and you're going to get fired, right? And, and what it's like for us, right, is that are we in our lives outside of work, people who are learning to practice the presence of God, which we've been talking about for the last four weeks, and are we, are we then just walking with him, right? There's not these two separate fears, not home and work and we're two different people. No. Are we people who are starting right because in the quiet times we've had and the opportunities we've had to draw near to his presence, we've done that. So we've heard his voice. Some of us don't have the opportunity to go back and start again, per se. You know, uh, Many of us have worked uh, long times at places, And what my encouragement is to you, me, is that we would start today. Um, Use your time. I I wanted to share this just to to say, you know, the commitment, I think, needs to be uh, kind of renewed every morning. (laughs) Um, I'm starting tomorrow with a group of guys. Some of them are here. we're going to be going through the purpose-driven life starting tomorrow for the next 40 days. And, and I asked a couple guys to go through it because for myself, I realized that I, for a little while, I've just been kind of on autopilot. I don't know if that happens to you guys and you're just like cruising. You're like, I can do what I do. <laughs> I know what to do. And so people will be like, like oh, he's doing his job. <laughs> but, but you can do your job and, and still waste your life. And you know that. And so the reason why me and a couple guys are going through this book, Purpose Driven Lives, is just, uh, man, I, I long to be a person of purpose. I want to start my day right. I want to I know I'm going in the right direction. And, and I believe Daniel and his friends, man, as they came to Babylon and they started their service of the king, they were, they were purpose driven. They were moving in the right direction. And I encourage you guys, do what it takes to restore your purpose, renew your purpose, and, and go into work right. Second point is this. Bring your flavor. Bring your flavor. And this is what I mean. Everyone else is going to come to work with their flavor. 
So you need to bring your flavor, okay? You're going to go into contexts where everyone is living out who they are. And oftentimes as Christians, we are the ones who feel like we can't be who we are. Does that make sense? If you turn with me to Matthew 5, uh, in the the Sermon on the Mount, um, there's this great recommendation after it's talked about uh, the character of the Christian life. Starting in verse 13, it says this simply, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Right? These are all like real strong identifiers. Right? Salt, light, sitting on a hill, like a lamp. No one puts a lamp under a bowl. There's this, um, there's this song you probably learned as a child. I did. It's this little lot of mine. You know, and I won't make you guys all sing it. <laughs> but you know, this little lot of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, shine. Keep shining. And then, you know, hide it under, no. No, we're not hiding it. Right? And, and you're taught this as a child. Why? Because you are going out into a world. But what are you going to be when you grow up? You're going to go out into a world that is constantly trying to hide you under a bushel. No. Right? <laughs> and and, and we, we need to have that same enthusiasm. Right? That we, and you know this, we live in workplaces where everyone is allowed to bring their flavor except you if you're a Christian. Bring the flavor of the kingdom of heaven with you. As it says in Matthew 15, let your good works, let me read this just so I don't poorly paraphrase it, which I do sometimes. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Let your good works just shine the kingdom so that people might praise your heavenly Father, right? People are bringing their flavor. You bring your Flavor, And this is exactly what Daniel and his friends did. Right? They came in and they said, you know, we're not going to defile ourselves. And, and there was some fear in the, the people that were supervising them because they said, well, we don't really do this. And you know what they said? Right? You get that? Supervisors being afraid because you're maybe acting the way you are. And, the, and then you know what Daniel said? And his friends, they go, you know, test us. See if this is helpful or not. See if the Christian life, me living out the fruits of the Spirit in the workplace are helpful or not, okay? Let's see if joy and love and peace and patience and kindness, let's just see if that works. And you know what? It usually does, right? And so, so bring your flavor, flavor your workplace, because that is what they're doing. And, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but, but what it, it proved was that was that as these men walked with God, they, they shone like stars in the universe, right? That it was amazing. Oftentimes, as we try to separate the two out, right, and we're like uh, trying to f- navigate our lives so we know what it's like to work at work and then be at home. And, um, it's so confusing, I think, both to people around us, but both to ourselves, 
um, that we don't necessarily go in purposefully flavoring the world, right? And, and we, get, we get in this confusing place that it expresses in, in Matthew 5 where it says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And, and maybe you're in this place at work where for so long you've just kind of like existed like, like sand, not like salt. And so you're just being kind of thrown in and maybe it helps with traction. <laughs> right? but, but you're not actually like flavoring anything. And so how do you regain that? How do you be made salty again? And my encouragement to you is... Man, go back. Like I said, start right. Make a commitment tomorrow to start right. Right? Don't leave one identity at home and then, and then bring another identity to work. But what does it look like to be a person whose quality and character is that of Christ-likeness? So flavor the workplace. Point three is this. Inspiration comes with investment. I think a lot of us um, are very, um, we, we want, we desire so much to be inspired people and go to work, our workplace and just be lights, right? Um, but the challenge is this. The challenge is to be someone who invests in that place. Because what's not going to happen is you go and be a shoddy worker and then expect that God's going to make up the difference, right? I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to, I'm going to be like, oh, this is, this is miserable, I'm having a horrible day. And, and you're kind of like, you do bad work, and then you're like, God, I just need your help. Inspire me so I can do good work. These men, I, I want you just to look at the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and realize you don't have a worse workplace than they do. <laughs> <laughs> and that these men invested, right? These men went in and they, they sought to, to grow in knowledge and understanding. And when they were tested, it says here that uh, in, in verse 20, it says, uh, he found them 10 times better than everyone else. Are we people going in investing in the workplace, because then inspiration comes from that. God is looking for people who will go glorify him at work by investing in their workplace. In Colossians, it says this. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will be receiving an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving Anyone who, does, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Right? This, this, this is this beautiful word and then a stern word. Right? It is the Lord you're serving, but anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. So it doesn't mean we can go and be bad workers and then just expect to be blessed in the workplace or expect to walk close to God in the workplace or expect for us to understand and experience the presence of God in the workplace. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? This is really important. <laughs> and so, so what it's calling us to do, and it says whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, is that we are going and we are, we are working, we're investing with all our heart. And what, what God does with that is then he's, he's going, and you're creative and you're investing there. And I'm just going to encourage you with my creativity too. 
It's this beautiful thing. Right? I, I think there's this real uh, um, synergy, I think, that happens. Maybe that's the right word. It, it, when, when we are living out the creative people God made us to be, and we see the creative creator that we have, right? In, in uh, this, this beautiful scene, when the Bible opens up, that immediately you have work being done, right? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, right? He's fashioning something. He's working at it. He's inspiring. He's creating. And then and what you see in, uh, in chapter 2.15 of Genesis is it says, then God placed man in the garden to work, Right? So it's this good thing that's happening, right? God creates. He places man to work and create. And so, so our investment, our investment of work and creativity is this real pairing with the passions of God. And, it's a beautiful, and, and I think that's really what we see here in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they are, are men who aren't withholding the gifts God's giving them, but they're fully investing. And, and they're experiencing the blessing of God, and they're, they're experiencing his presence there at work. Fourthly, know when to stand and know when to kneel. This is a really important part of practicing the presence of God at work. Knowing when to stand and when to kneel. There's two stories that come in the book of Daniel. Um, one known as the fiery furnace, and one known as Daniel in the lion's den. I grew up really loving Daniel in the lion's den. No reason in particular. Um, The fiery furnace story is this. Um, You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's the story of the king making a rule. He made this big idol. Everyone needs to bow down to this idol. right? It was a statue of himself. This king was very proud, liked looking at himself in mirrors. And so he made this this big statue and he said, "Uh, I want everyone to bow down to this. And what you find is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, amongst this vast crowd of people who have all come to, when the music plays, bow down. And, and what happens is, is everyone drops to the floor, and you just have these three lone figures there, just standing. Just awkwardly, just, hey, you know? And no one to stand. No one to kneel is the story of Daniel and the lions then, right, where... Where um, and so actually, what, what I've called fiery furnaces is it a, a supervisor issue, right? The king made a bad choice, right? <laughs> Dan the Lions then is is really a coworker issue where where Daniel's coworkers don't like him because he's shining, right? He's using his gifts and he's doing awesome at it, and so his coworkers come up with this scheme that maybe we can get Daniel in trouble, and so so they say. And they, they know the only way to get Daniel in trouble is if it has to do with his worship of God. Because Daniel is somebody who worships God, practices the presence of God at work, and they see that. And so, and so they say, oh, king, why don't we just have everyone pray to you for a month? Bad idea, but the king, again, full of himself, and so he decides that's, that's maybe a good idea. And so he tries it, and immediately what Daniel does is what he does every day. <laughs> every day he's praying. He goes and kneels, and he prays. And so... So he comes, and these guys see him, and they're like, yeah, Daniel, throw him in the lines then, right? You said so. Right? No one to stand and no one to kneel. Know, know when and how to 
stand when no one else will stand. No one to kneel when no one else will kneel. And this is so important about practicing the presence of God at work, is that you are people, if you're people who have started right, right? You're people who have brought with you the flavor of Christ into your workplace. You're people who have invested there. You will be people who, with your quality and character of Christ, won't have to just decide it at that moment, what happens, but you'll be practicing those things already. These are men who already stood for righteousness and stood for holiness and stood for what's right. These are men who already were praying for, they're praying for their workplace, right? Praying for what they were doing, praying blessing upon it, right? So know when to stand, know when to kneel. Let that be part of your culture, part of your flavor that you bring in the workplace. And that will transform you. That will allow you, that will allow you to know you have not wasted your life. When you know when to stand and you know when to kneel. That is powerful, guys. And the last is this. The last is simply keep going. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, Daniel serves, I think, a sum total of four different kings. Um, throughout the book of Daniel, he, he serves the kings well. He prays for the kings. These are kings that are, are not nice men to other people. But Daniel's won their favor. And, and man, my encouragement for you guys to keep going is, as I think this is, this is powerful, but, but walk with me through it. But too many people think that dissatisfaction in the workplace is a sign from God for the need to change. Do many people think that dissatisfaction in the workplace is a sign from God that something needs, that that their workplace needs to change? And 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 perhaps sometimes that's right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount that. But perhaps most of the time, <laughs> keep going. Be faithful. Be someone who stands. Be someone who flavors your workplace. Bring the character and quality of Christ to your workplace. Walk with him. Walk in his presence where you are. Don't think because the situation changes that your walk with God, practicing the presence of God, will be any easier. Right? I, I work for this place. Right? For what God's doing here. We, we work together. And, and I tell you what, we need to keep going. Right? people, I was sharing this with somebody last week who was like, yeah, I want to do the business admission thing. It's really cool. And, and it's cool, but, and, but what you always hear is people are like, oh, man, it must be easy for you to wake up in the morning. It's not. And I, I just blame it on me not being a morning person, but, but there's some mornings where you're just like, Lord, pull me out of bed, <laughs> right? Because, because you know there's going to be challenges in your day. There's things you don't want to address, Right? And a lot of you guys will be like, oh, you work for the Coffee Oasis. It must be like you're just praying nonstop. No. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Maybe we're doing both at the same time. <laughs> right? Keep going, right? Man, my encouragement for you guys is, is don't misinterpret the situation. Don't stop working. Don't stop being creative. Don't stop practicing the presence of God. And invest wholeheartedly. God will show you as you walk with him, as you walk in step with him, he will show you exactly where you need to go. But don't live a life of indecision, wasting years of your life, 
because you're constantly looking to what's next. It's not going to help anyone. It's not going to help yourself. It's not going to help the people you work with. It's not going to help you be the light of Christ in the workplace, not be the salt light sitting on a hill that you are meant to be. Let your good work shine before men. Dig in. Be that woman, that man who practices the presence of God in such a way that it calls people's attention to, to who your God is. Let your satisfaction be of the sort that people realize that satisfaction isn't in just making your buck and then spending it in your two hours that you have before you go to sleep and wake up and work again, right? Don't just look forward to the weekend. Be someone who practices the presence of God at work because his presence is available to you there too. But remember, it has to be because, because it's not this, this severe distinction. This is me at home. This is me at work. No, it's me walking with God. So whether I'm at home... Loving the people I'm with at home, whether it's me at work and, and learning to, to live a life there. I'm going to end with this, a, a story that Jesus shares. And it's the story of, it's the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's the story of, of the person who built their house on the sand and the person who built their house on the rock. And I think this applies, has everything to do with, with God at, at work. Us living our lives at work in the presence of God. There's a story about Two people. One, as they got to the coastland, they thought, I want to build my house here. They thought, I want to be as close to the water as possible. So they just built their house right in the sand, right? A beautiful place, good view. This other person built their house on the rock. Well, a storm came, started beating on these houses. And in no time at all, the foundation was revealed. The person who had built their house on the sand, their house fell apart. The person who had built their house on the rock, their house stood. And I think this has everything to do with work because of this. Because, because your workplace will reveal your foundation. And a lot of us go to work and we blame everything on work. Right? But all work is doing is revealing your foundation. Um, it, is, it is the storm that rages. It's the place you spend time. It's the place where your best and worst come out. And, and, and this means, I know for all of you, you're probably pulling up pictures, what it means for you at work, right? And that's, that's going to be what's beating on you daily. Where's your foundation? And so build your foundation upon the rock that is Christ, right? Build it. Build it strong. Build it in the times when you're not at work. Build it when you're at work. And so when the tempest comes, you'll be someone who stands, and so I want you guys to ask yourself this week, this is your homework, just to ask yourself this week, is my foundation one that will last? Is it one that will last? Or am I constantly looking to another opportunity, another option? Or is it one that I can thrive um, and know his intimacy wherever I am? That's what I hope for you guys. That's what I hope for me. Let's pray and then worship. God, thank you for your offer to be the rock of our salvation. I ask for honesty this week for myself and for all those here, honesty to be able to evaluate the, the foundation that we're on. And God, give us wisdom in how to build that foundation, how to make it strong, how to fortify it. I pray that 
that we will know your intimacy this week and we can be agents of transformation, reconciliation, calling people to know you at work because we're living with you even there. God, I pray these things in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.